Welcome to episode 345 of On The Schmooze. Let's do this. Welcome to On The Schmooze, the podcast that highlights talented people from different fields, explores how they built strong networks, and overcame challenges on their way to becoming successful leaders. Now here's your host, Robbie Samuels. Have you ever had one of those days? Well, here's mine. My wife has a new job that involves traveling and she was gone for about a week. Not a problem. We've got good systems, so I know I have everything under control back home with our two kiddos. And while she was away though, my iMac computer starts acting really slow and I realize it's overdue for an OS update. Fast forward to my computer bricking. It starts, but freezes up every time. Not a problem, I'll order a new one, I've had that one for years and, you know, it's probably time to get a new one. And, you know, I have been pretty good about saving everything to the cloud, except all those random things I had in my download, documents, and desktop folders, but, uh, eh, it it should be fine. That same day, my car had a major issue and my youngest came home from camp with a fever. But don't worry, I got it all figured out. It just threw me off my game for several days. All this is to say the audio for this interview, it isn't that great. It's not up to my standards. See, there are so many adjustments I need to make with a new computer, and I I, honestly, I forgot to double check the audio input when setting up this interview. I was flustered and trying to figure all the things out, and my guest, turns out, was also flustered trying to get his camera right, and in the end, we both ended up using our computer mics instead of our fancy mics. Oops, not a problem, right? It's still a great interview. So, sorry for this in advance, and thanks for listening. Next a word from our sponsor, and then we'll dive into this week's interview. You may know you're listening to this show along the Marketing Podcast Network, but did you know there are other great shows on MPN to help your business? Christy Heiler hosts a fantastic podcast called Own It. Christy, Tell us more about the show. Own It is all about celebrating women and non-binary advertising agency owners. We talk about buying out of the Boys Club of Advertising because less than 1% of ad agencies are owned by women. And where can people subscribe? You can find the podcast at untilyouownit.com. We're also on the Marketing Podcast Network at marketingpodcast.net. And of course, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You heard her. Go subscribe. Today's guest has a natural talent for connecting with people and absorbing the processes and nuances of residential real estate. He's on a mission to build mutually beneficial relationships. He's a seasoned real estate agent with over 20 years of experience specializing in REO and short sales. He's adept at assisting both traditional and distressed buyers and sellers. He's currently number nine among the top REMAX agents in Pennsylvania and Delaware, which is over 12,000 agents. He's known for his creativity and he's a passionate content creator who shares insightful community highlights through video. You should definitely check out his YouTube channel. I'll put the link in the show notes. Please join me in welcoming Chris Nelson. Welcome, Chris. Bobby, that was amazing. That was amazing. Thank you for that. Uh... You're amazing. And you are a neighbor of mine, probably the closest person I've ever interviewed on this show. Uh, I go near your house, or you might go towards Costco. So. Yes. So <laughs> I'll stop by. Possibly. <laughs> you never gave me the actual number. So I'm <laughs> <laughs> To, to be on this show, as you know, this is a show of building strong networks, but the context is leadership. So tell me, how do you define leadership? And when did you realize you had the skills to lead? Very loaded question. But what I will say, Robbie, is that leadership to me, um, 
when you are just as passionate about someone else reaching their goal or succeeding in whichever light that may be, I think that's what truly defines leadership, right? Um, and for me, I didn't realize that I had that skill set, ironically, until I almost lost my house. And um, that's actually how, so as you were reading my bio and how I, what I specialize in and things along those lines, I, at that point, had to be, I had to be a leader, not only under my own uh, rooftop, but I also had to be a leader in my office because at the same time, this is public information, right? They know that Chris is having a very, very difficult time. So I had to pull together resources. I had to pull together um, people who I knew that I could trust, but would also help me get to where I needed to be. And when I saw when I saw the camaraderie and I saw the passion and how people instilled themselves in me, I knew that that was something that I was very passionate about as far as getting back. And that is kind of how I became a leader, not only to my team, but in my community and to people who I feel as though are in need. About how long ago was that? Jeez, I literally, 2008 was uh, the year where I literally, my son, Cody, who you know, I remember, you know, the stress of, of just what does tomorrow look like, you know, and um, that was probably the most trying thing that I have ever gone through. You know, again, it's there's there's that humility side of things. There's that sense of failure and you have to make it. I had to make a decision. I can either crumble and put my head in the sand or I can find those those leadership type skills and forge forward. That's really what had to happen. And what did happen? 2008, the economy must have had a big impact. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm really kind of curious though, Chris, I want to wind the clock back even further. I'm kind of curious who you were growing up, like on the playground, you know, in grade school. Um, you're, I see you as a very gregarious, you know, friendly person. Was that who you were as a kid? Were you organizing kids to play games? Did teachers notice you and want to support you? Like, kind of who, who were you early on those early years? That's a fun question. So I've always been very yellow when it comes to personality uh, types, very, uh, very high I for those who know disc assessments. Long story short, you put me in a room full of people. Um, I will try to connect the dots, connect the people, find ways to have conversations. And I, I was very much like that as a child. But growing up, I lived in a, in a community where I'm going to kind of compare my, my upbringing to Rich Dad Poor Dad. Um, I had a stepfather and, a, and my biological father. One of them was more financially stable than the other. And also the community that I grew up in, I was able to really see two different types of life. And unfortunately, as a youth, I, I was a knucklehead. You know, I remember graduating. My mother literally told me, you know, she said, you have to make a decision. And as your mother, I'm, I'm a little nervous, you know, you have to either get a job, do something along those lines, or you, you, you can't, you can't stay here. It was actually getting to that point. And, um, she actually gave me, uh, she gave me, she said, you know, there's, there's these guys at my office. My mother was in real estate and she said, there's these guys that are in my office and are looking for an assistant. And I, I put the word in for you. So I want for you to show up on Monday and, and have an interview with them. I did. That's how I got into, into real estate. But to answer your question, circle back, always, um, 
I was always social, regardless. Like I said, even though I lived in a community where there was two different lifestyles going on, I always found a way to have conversations in, in both. It must be interesting. Did you find code switching was a big part of that then? Like changing like what you said and how you said it and how you spoke and like what Absolutely. you're talking about? A- absolutely. And as a child, you know, wanting to be, we, everyone wants to be accepted, right? So um, as a child, it created a lot of stress because I also noticed that this group didn't mesh with that group. And, you know, trying to walk that that fine line where you, where you are accepted from both, you know, and again, it has a lot to do with, I have one father who does this, I have another father who, who does that. You know, just seeing different, um, different lifestyles from a parent perspective, and then I see that from a youth perspective, and I feel like I can wear both of those coats. But I mean, are you are you your true self if you're switching coats? And I found myself having that that stress, like maybe I shouldn't be wearing either of these coats. Yeah, no, I can see that. And myself, I was uh, a chameleon who could blend in with lots of different groups in in high school, and um, I, I never felt bad about it, but I never quite knew like if any like. I could fit into all these spaces, but which one was like for all of me, you know, like to try and better understand who I was. Um, in like, if we are, if I'm not in one of those spaces, like, well, who am I? I think a lot of people just sort of follow a singular path and they don't question a lot of things that like they don't choose. They don't think about their identity. And like, it sounds like early on you were, you were aware of the like social implications of like everything you did beyond just, you know, would your peers approve, there was a wider conversation happening. So you said your mom's in real estate. My mother was the receptionist for, for Remax. So she was the dot connector, very much like me. Everyone yeah. loved my mother simply because she would have a conversation with anyone. She loved everyone. And, um, you know, she was with the company for probably 20 or 30 years. And it's crazy because even in the industry today, my, I mean, my mother was at the Remax that I was at. Um, she still, people to this day still know her in the industry. And she's she's been out of the industry for probably seven or eight years at this point. Wow. So I'm curious, at 12 years old, did you have a sense of what you were going to be when you grew up? What was, what was on our wish list? A vet. I wanted to be a vet. Even at the age of 12. I, I you know, my son who's 12 now, I, I remember he wanted to be a vet very early on. That is quickly left. Um, Carson, my youngest son, now wants to be a vet. You know, I remember even up until 12, I wanted to be a vet. The Where it switched is I realized that even though I was helping, I couldn't hurt. You know, like I couldn't, even though I knew the greater cause was to save, I couldn't cut or, or sedate any of that stuff. I wasn't built for that. So, um, real estate <laughs> became attractive. <laughs> and it sounds like college wasn't like, so some people are just like a given, you know, like everyone in the family starts to go or you're the first of the family, but for you, you're sort of at loose ends at the end of high school. You needed to find a way to support yourself. You needed, you needed a plan and you, you got this sort of opportunity through your mom to get into real estate. Now I want to tell you why I'm so excited to have known you and to work with you is that. I taught networking um, for like 10 years before the pandemic and, you know, in-person networking, business cards, all that good stuff. And real estate agents were the butt of my joke all the time, all the time. 
And I, there's a few real estate agents who step out of that mold. And I've had like my friend, Melanie Swayze was on this show and she's incredible up there in Massachusetts, selling homes, doing a fantastic job with relationship building, community building, just like being top of mind without just pitching and, and spamming all the time. Um, but yeah, I, I've had some really interesting moments where people are like handing me their card and I'm like, I'm not looking for, I don't, you know, I'm not looking, oh, first time home buyer, like, oh, and they're like, they just, they just keep pitching like while they're still shaking my hand. You're nothing like that. So <laughs> That means more to me than you know. <laughs> well, you're nothing like that. And in a moment, I will tell the story of how we first found you. But I'm curious about that, though, since you grew up literally from like graduating high school to today, you grew up in this industry. And since that's still predominantly the like culture that is at least our understanding as outsiders, right? There's obviously great, exceptional salespeople in every industry who really understand relationships. How did you sidestep that? How did you not just fall into the, do the easiest things, you know, spray and pray when you get out of the room, taking emails and like, I mean, I saw one guy, there was a wall full of business cards at a conference. He was taking Waterbury one and I was like, oh, and he was like, wow, oh, man, it's my email list. <laughs> so, dude, I'm, I'm laughing. So it, all right. So as I got in the industry very early on, right, obviously I got in early 2000, 2008, I almost lost my house. So one would assume Chris wasn't making a whole lot of money during that time frame. And a lot of that was because I was doing what I was programmed to do or what other realtors were programmed to do. Show up and you call people that you don't want to call and you send these stupid emails, you pick a neighborhood that you don't like and you send some postcards. That's, that's what they did. Some did it better than others. And then I, I realized, like, I don't like this. Like, I don't like doing this at all. I like real estate. I like people. So this doesn't work for me. And then I realized that a lot, you use the word spam. And I realized that what I was doing was, was spamming people across the board. I wasn't providing any value. Like, my phone call to you, the end of the day, the vested interest was about me. It was trying to get you to list your house so that I could create a, pay, a paycheck for myself. Same thing with the postcards that I was sending. You get a postcard from me now. It has nothing to do with selling a home. It has a recipe on it. It has a recipe on it. And I've, and I've used them. And they, they also tend to hang around on our refrigerator for like weeks and weeks at a time when we discuss, like, we, we've my wife and I have talked about your cards. Like, I have made some of those recipes. And it is a cool way to keep top of mind. Yeah. And that's what it's all about. It's providing value and not spamming. And like the other thing I'll say, you know, it goes, it also ties into what we were talking about before, you know, being your authentic self. When I got into this industry, which you can see slightly from my arms, I, I have, I have tattoos. Um, I wear my hat backwards. You know, I dress like this. When I showed you homes, this is what you got. Where, I, where I'm going with that is when I first got into real estate, this is not what you got. I, I would hide the tattoos. I would wear different clothes. I would, I wouldn't wear my hat. And what ended up happening was I started realizing that I'm not being authentic. I'm actually setting up this vibe and attracting people who don't like Chris for Chris. And then when I separated from the outcome, I said, okay, I'm in real estate. I'm going to do this. I'm going to make it work. What can I do to attract people who appreciate Chris? The fact he talks with his hands, he has his hat backwards. He has, those are the people I want to work with. And those are the people who are going to appreciate working with me. So I started taking that into consideration. Be yourself. 
show up, be your authentic self, talk to people the way that you would talk to them if you were just having coffee. Send them things that they would appreciate without telling them that you can sell their house. They know that. They, trust me, we live in a world of technology. They know that. But for me, just reminding myself that I can be of value. I can tell people how to solve problems. I can tell people how to bake cookies through a, a, a recipe. That, to me, spoke in volume, and my business changed ever since I realized that. What year did you actually start in real estate? So I started in real estate in 2001 when I started working for the two um, gentlemen that I referred to, Dan, Ron and Dan, which I'll unpack that story just a little bit more to add some context. So I started working for them as an assistant. And then I realized that as an assistant, I was doing 75% of their work and collecting 5% of their income. And I was like, oh man, this, is, <laughs> this isn't going to work. So I then got licensed September 22nd of 2002. Um, after that, left those two, went and generated my own book of business. The book of business got to be so large that I brought it back to them and say, hey, I need your help. I need your help leveraging this business. Up until 2020, they were my 2020. business partners. Yeah, got it. Until they were my business partners. Fascinating. So they did they go with you through that transition then? I mean, from 2002 to 2008, you were kind of doing the the default way of, of networking. Uh, they they yeah. didn't help me through that. When I when 2002 to 2008, when I left them, I went to a different brokerage. I showed up and didn't do, I, I was that probe, that battery in his back. Here's what a realtor should do and look like. Send them down the conveyor line. And, you know, that's what I did. And like I said, once, once the foreclosure situation started to come for me, a lot of what I did providing value, to be honest, I started creating content to help people who are going through a similar situation as me. It ties into Misery Loves Company. I was trying to find a way for people to be like, hey, I'm going through that too. Like, and here I am telling them how to solve their problem. Right? What, kind of, what was the medium for that early content in 2008? Like Facebook, email, um, I wasn't on YouTube at that point. And ironically, I, I had a background with video, but YouTube just, no one really knew what it was. Mm -hmm. Right. So a lot of it was, was Facebook. I had stuff on, um, email blasts. We, I put together some, um, some groups of other agents trying to train other agents on like, it wasn't really a short sale at the time, trying to train other agents on it. And those other opportunities, those other auxiliary moments is actually what helped me to save my property from foreclosure. We still own that house to this day. Wow. That's intense. So um, I'm glad you mentioned YouTube because we found you because my mother-in-law knew that we were moving to the Philly suburbs. I knew nothing about the Philly suburbs with like when we were moving here with the intention to buy. Um, I had been to King of Prussia for a conference. That's the extent of my knowledge. <laughs> I drove from Philly, Philly airport to King of Prussia and back. That was the extent of what I know about Philly suburbs. And so we didn't know anything about areas. We were like getting advice from all kinds of people about like even which county to live in, what school district, um, where it would be more progressive, etc. And so by chance, we ended up renting in an apartment complex across from the high school in Lansdale, which is the high school for our district. And because we mentioned the name of the, the area to 
um, our mother, my mother-in-law, um, she found that your video highlighting all these great features for Lanzell, and it was so supremely edited. Like you, you had clips of the fronts of all these like restaurants and bar breweries and things to do, and you were voiceover, and you were talking about all these great things to do. And it was very, it was exciting. Again, as a person who didn't know about the area, it was like perfect. Then we start checking all the rest of your content out. We were like, this is the person we want to work with because he's knowledgeable about the area. He's super friendly. He's an entrepreneur, which I know that real estate agents are supposed to be, but not all of them are very entrepreneurial. Um, and I was like, that's my people. Like, so I want to get to know moving here. He'll know other people like that. So that's why we reached out to you because, you know, we got tons of leads for agents. Like there's no shortage of people who will sell you a home, but they didn't like, maybe there was someone who was queer and who lived in, in, in Philadelphia, but they didn't really know the suburbs. So like, sure, we want to support a queer realtor, but you don't know more than we do about this area. Right, right, right. Yeah. It's not helpful. Yeah. You know, yeah, I, I was, I was pretty excited um, to find you and you find that, that those videos lead to lots of business. Is that, I mean, I imagine it's a lot of work. So is it worth it? So like, I want to almost separate the word business. Like it, the videos lead to conversations. The conversations um, lead to relationships. Relationships lead to business. I don't, what I do, like when I set out to do something, it is completely disconnected from a paycheck or the business. It just so happens to support it. So the short answer would be yes. Um, but the intent is to serve, is to help. Um, and speaking of those videos, you know, my mindset was if I were to move here, this is where I think like a lot of realtors or anybody in their profession, they get caught up where it's like, we expect people to know what we know and we almost fault them for not knowing. So I literally said, you know what, Chris, talk to yourself as if you didn't live here, right? Like, what would you want to know? You would want to know where your kids go to school. You would want to know what it looks like. Like, what does the main street look like? Like, where do people eat? Is there good food here? Right? Like, those are all things that I wanted to, to package up, but then also at the same time, let people know that, Hey, if you, are thinking about moving here or there, or maybe even some of these other places, here's some things that you may want to know that can either help you stay out of trouble <laughs> or maybe even help you get your offer accepted, which is very, very challenging. You, speaking of which, you're, you're, when you, uh, when we made an offer on your place, that would, the market was crazy then. The market was crazy, you know, but again, you want be, being strategic and looking at some different things, having conversations and, and applying logic you know, we were able to make things happen. And that's the kind of, that's the the mindset when I'm putting out content. It's, is it a value? Can it help someone? Will it potentially lead to a conversation? If it checks those boxes, I'm all in. You and I are so cut from the same cloth. I I put out a ton of content, uh, you know, and I aim to add value wherever I go. And to me, and I think it's similar to what you're talking about, I want an educated prospect. Like, the more they understand the actual big, big key problem, not the little angsty problem that they, you know, initially Googled, but once they start to really understand the vastness of the question in front of them, well, then my services make more sense. And the the payment for my services makes more sense. Like they were like, oh, I really do need that guide. Oh, look, this person has been helping me to even understand the problem. They can guide me through to the solution. Oh, look, they have a solution. Like, great. You know, so it's, but, but they don't understand the value until you kind of walk them through that. And I think your videos 
do a great job, both, you know, educating us to DIY our way through some of this if we want to, but to also start to realize at some point, wow, okay, it's beyond what I know. <laughs> and, you know, while I can get a quick answer about something, I also might, I kind of want just someone I can continuously lean on. So we, you noted right before we got on this call on live that, would you say two years ago today? Two years ago today was your home inspection on your property. So two years and two weeks ago today is when we moved to Lanscale to rent with the intention to buy, hopefully within that following year, before our oldest was in first grade. We actually moved in seven weeks after we had rented. And so five weeks from today is going to be when we moved in. And that was a Friday. And then Monday, my oldest started kindergarten. Like it was a busy whirlwind week, uh, summer. It was crazy. Um, and, and it wasn't even, we actually put it, this is the second offer we put in. That was the second offer. We had already had some context. I think the average around that time for like a buyer was like between five and seven contracts written before acceptance. Yeah. Well, homes were, <laughs> homes were gone within like two to four days. Yes. If that. If yeah. That. If that. So, um, yeah. So ha- having you there to help us like clutch this and keep it. And then guide us to like the mortgage broker and like ev- everything was so smooth once we had you because you had a whole network. Um, you know, what you said you had sort of a, a moment in 2008, obviously the your own mortgage crisis, like your own, you know, financial part of it. Who did you lean to? Like who, who helped you sort of write your way? Did you have a mentor at that time? Yeah. A peer group that was supporting you? Like if you're mired in a certain way of thinking about the world, like your worldview is spray and pray, right? Like that's what everyone's doing. Some are doing it better. Some are you know, getting results. Some are not getting results. How do you step out of that worldview? Like who gives you like a fresh perspective and to say like, that's not the only way. <laughs> right. Dan McIntosh. Uh, I, I mean, he, so Ron and Dan, I mentioned these two partners that I joined and um, Dan, Dan has become not only a mentor, but you know, a brother, um, the person that I go to when I need a pat on the back. Uh, and I don't think he knows how important he is um, when it comes to, 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 to my life and even my, my children, my wife love him. He was, that, he was that person that would always motivate me and remind me that, yes, it's tough, but you can get through it, but you have to make that decision. And he always, he always reminded me, which he always reminded me not to play the victim. And that meant, that meant so much because I feel like it's so easy to do that. But he always, he always reminded me not to play the, not to play the victim. And he he did remind me that the foreclosure really was a consequence or a result of my actions or lack thereof. Can I be mad at the mortgage company? A lot of people are. Why? Because they're the ones saying that they're going to foreclose. But really, I had to be mad at myself for not doing the things that I said I was going to do. Remember that promissory note that I signed? I said I was going to, I promised to pay this mortgage company back. You know, so just having that voice of reason and someone like, all right, let's go get a sandwich and go back to making some money. That just, that meant everything to me. Yeah, because I can see how it becomes a downward spiral. When you feel bad about yourself, you are less likely to, to be innovative or to follow through on the plans that you make. 
right? You're gonna you're gonna see no's when you haven't even bothered to ask. Yeah, right? You're, you're gonna like put yourself in the way of good good options and good possibilities and good outcomes. And so you had someone help you like sidestep some of that woe is me and give you like a push in the right direction. But then you you did the actual work. I did the work. I did the work. You know the, the, the toughest part when it comes and I think this is why I'm also very passionate about foreclosure. Like our home, that's supposed to be where we go to escape everything. Right? We get nervous when we have to go away. We have to get nervous when we have to go present. We get bad news at work. We get bad news every now and then at the doctor. And then going home is where we're supposed to escape all of that. That's where where, where, where we're supposed to be able to put mute on a lot of things. But when that's in jeopardy, how can you put mute on it? It's like, I, so I coach other realtors across the country and I, I, and I always use this one analogy where it's like, you know, before you were in real estate, I'm sure you had that job where every time you pulled up in the parking lot, you were just like, everything changed. You're like, I have to go in there. That is trying when that feeling sets in when you're in your driveway. Wow. Is coaching now, is that a revenue stream for you? Coaching? It is a revenue stream for me. It is. Yeah. Yeah. So what are your revenue streams? I'm kind of curious beyond, oh. I mean, selling homes like what what's the range range as far as how many homes do i sell well yeah like i mean kinds of things that you do i mean you you obviously work on short sales and all the other kinds of real estate transactions sure so to give you an idea um solely i sell about 60 homes on a on a yearly basis i do uh what's referred to as um bpos or broker price opinions for servicers. So what happens is if you were to stop paying your mortgage at some point, the mortgage company is going to say, we need to figure out what's going on with this house. Is it occupied? Is the grass being cut? What's it worth? Roughly. They compensate me for that. And I do those reports in volume, which ties into the other part of, of default, right? At some point, if those people don't make the mortgage payments of those homes do go into foreclosure, I'm still working those same relationships. Then coaching, real estate coaching I've been doing for going on two years now. Um, that is, I've got 25 coaching clients across the country. And then um, that's really it from like a real estate perspective. I'm, I'm hoping the wife, <laughs> you know, Nicole loves to cook. I'm hoping we can bring in revenue at some point with uh, some type of food venture. But real estate wise, those are the checks that come in. That's fun. That's fun. And so your oldest is 12 now? Yeah. Yeah. How have you passed along some of the lessons you've learned to your 12 year old? I'm always, as a parent, I mean, my kids are younger, they're five and seven. So, but like at 12, I mean, I had jobs at 12, right? I was, I was, I was hustling to make money, do whatever I could at 12. So that's who I was as a kid. Um, is, is that their personality? Are you, are you like able to like bring any of your best practice down to their level? My kids are sheltered to the most that I can shelter them, right? You know, as a parent, you always want to, that's our job, right? But um, I also do my best to make my, my, my children very aware of what life, how life can unfold. So Cody, when he was off of school for take your kid to school day, Cody actually came to a foreclosure with me. Now, obviously he was disconnected and stayed in a car and things like that. 
but being able to have a conversation with him about what's going on and, and also, you know, helping him understand the emotion that the parents and the children and that, like, this is traumatizing. Like, just having him understand that life can be rainbows and flowers, but it can also be devastating like this. You have to be prepared. So having those conversations and, and letting him know that, you know, <laughs> you have to show up. You have to show up regardless. But these are things that go on. These are things that happen. And no matter what, uh, mommy and daddy work hard. Life happens. This, at some point, you never know. This very well could happen to us. We do everything that, you know, to prevent that. But you just, you never know. Yeah. I mean, it's it's a very grown-up conversation to have. But as they're entering into their teen years, it's a good baseline, you know, so they are aware of the, the dangers out in the world and that they have some agency to, like, fight that. Um, such a big, big part of how I think of you is as that community builder, that relationship connector. So, and I, I can't even imagine the number of people in your role attack. Um, you know, selling 60 homes a year means you know a lot of people because that's that's a lot of leads to even get to one prospect who's serious. So how do you stay in touch? How do you nurture, sustain? Like, let's say you've got that inner circle of people that you know you're going to stay in touch with. And then you've got sort of the second and third layers or tiers out, the people that you see once a year at an event. Maybe there's a conference you go to. Yeah. Um, maybe there's someone you worked with five years ago but you really enjoy them. Like you and I are going to keep running into each other, right? In one way or the other, five years from now, we're still going to be having conversations yeah. now and again. Yep. So how do you nurture, sustain that wider network of people, those like weaker connections, any habits, philosophies, or practices? So I will say that I, I am a firm believer that people make time for what's important to them, right? Like that's even like as simple as calling your friend, like your close, close friend back. We, at, we either make time or we make excuses. Knowing that I'm a social person and relationships mean a lot to me, that's in the forefront of what I do. Like for when we first connected, I reminded you that, hey, two years ago was your was your home inspection. I have five or six other people on my mind right now that I have some type of milestone with them, which I'll connect with them as well. I, I guess to answer your question, it's it's something that's just embedded in me and it's important to me. Like my mother. Every time I had a birthday, my mother always made sure everyone got a thank you card back for the gift that they gave and referencing the gift and things like that. Those things mean a lot to me. So I do what I'm good at and I delegate the rest. Um, I spent a lot of time nurturing and, and protecting my relationships. But even though my business is as successful as it is, like even when you and I got connected, at some point, once I do certain things, I hand other things off to other people who are in my organization so that I can continue to go out there and be the, 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 the person who's connecting the dots, having the conversations. So it's just part of my day to day. Yeah. Did you have like a, I mean, is there like a CRM behind the oh, scenes? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So to, to kind of get into the weeds, I do. Yeah. Use I get into the weeds a little bit. Yeah. I do use a CRM and, and what I do is I always say that like, when you get a CRM, they give you all this, excuse my terminology, crap. It's like, if this person is going to transact with you soon, put them on this campaign. If they're like a year from now, put them on that campaign. And I'm like, they don't want this. <laughs> As a matter of fact, they don't think like, this will get me fired. They don't want this at all. So everything that I send out generally for the most part has some value to it. You might get an email here and there that just says, Hey, Chris, this did this property. Again, you're not really interested in it. That's more of a what's in it for us. 
but it's also a way for me to stay top of mind and show you that, yes, Chris is still in the industry and look at this really cool video they just put together, right? But for the most part, everything that we that gets sent out is of value. So on a yearly basis, uh, it's all part of the business plan. We look at who's going to get what. I have all of that mapped out. And then throughout the year, every quarter, we'll go back and we'll sprinkle some stuff in uh, to make sure that people are in the know, uh, but also hearing from me on a regular basis. Okay, I want to go back to this. You said on an annual basis, you're going through your list to figure out like who's going to get what. Yeah. Um, and that has something to do with like, I mean, you just sold me a home, so I'm in a different bucket. I'm, I'm a referral, you know, for you. I, I would refer you. I'm not going to buy from you right now. Correct. That's yes. me. We hired a handywoman and she put nails on the wall and we hung up pictures. And I was like, I don't know what's going to be hanging on that nail, but that nail is going to have our pictures for 25 years. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm done moving. I moved for the first 25 years. <laughs> I love it. And so, um, but yes, like, you know, our neighbor for our neighborhood, for instance, is about 28 years old. And the the original owners are really just starting to sell again. Like we're we're part of that next generation of families coming in. And we're not the very beginning of that. Like it's ha- it's been happening, but it's going to start happening, I think, in a more frequent basis as those families age and the kids have all moved out. And like they realize they're just two humans living in a huge place. They don't need all that space. We need exactly. somewhere nicer and smaller. And I don't know. Right. So, um, so yeah, like as people are talking, of course, I'm going to talk about the nice experience I have with you and, and, and let people know about your resources that you have. Um, but how do you, like, what is the range of things people might get? I guess this is a question yeah. I'll ask you since there's yeah. so many things in my brain. Like, so what's, it ranges what's the from the uh, cadence of emails. Mm-hmm. what they get in their uh, their mailbox. So the postcards, uh, market updates. Um, this year, we're going back to, which we stopped last year and the year before, but this year we're going back to quarterly or uh, yearly annual or yearly equity reports. So soon you will have an equity report just to kind of let you know what's going on. It's not to sell you on anything, but you want to know how your investment is working for you, right? So past clients and things along those lines, they will get equity reports. Uh, Then we are also going back to doing different types of events. So certain people at certain stages will be invited to different events. And then there's going to be also a pie giveaway. So, and I get away. There's going to be a pie giveaway. We're also, now that there's some normalcy again, we're thinking about renting a movie theater. Cool. All right. So, you know, it's interesting because, um, Melanie Swayze up in Massachusetts. I need to connect the two of you. Y'all will get along so well. Um, uh, I interviewed her. I'll, you know, I'll put a link to her to her interview in the show notes as well. Um, yeah, it, some of the things she does still stands out to me. Like she's always was hosting like different events. Like talk to an art gallery and take over an art gallery to do like finger sandwiches and chit chat and or like sponsor a local event that was going on and like invite her community of friends to come and join her because she got tickets as a sponsor. Like, just, I mean, it was all light stuff. But, you know, anytime I knew somebody, and I wasn't buying homes back then, but even though, like, I wasn't a direct client prospect, like, in that moment, like, I referred to, and when I moved here, and I was trying to figure out where to rent and all that, even, I asked her her opinion about, like, how do I make decisions about that? How did I make decisions about a good realtor to work with? Like, I, I thought of her as a resource, even though it was a different market. I asked her if she knew anyone in this market. Like I was like, I trust your network. So 
Um, and one other thing that I heard that was really cool, I, I met a realtor once at a chamber event who stood out to me because on when the sale closed, they gave money to charity in the area, which was a way to connect the new home buyer to the local charity community and like form a bond locally. So I love those little touches. So you, there's two things I wanted to circle back to. You mentioned resource. It's funny because as a coach, when I first connect with a realtor, excuse that though, I will ask them, what do you sell? And 99% of them will say, I sell houses. No, you don't. Maybe you sell your house that you own once. So what do you sell? And a lot of them can't answer that question once you get to that point. And most realtors who are successful understand that they're a resource. The the, the more money that they make, the, the, the realtors who make the most money in this industry are the ones who understand that their job is to solve a problem. Earlier on in this uh, interview, you, you had talked about pricing and people being willing to pay for a service. There are three types of people. There are people who will, no matter what, always want the cheapest. It's about 15% of consumers. 5% of consumers, they're always gonna go for the highest price point because for them, there's something about that elite price point that makes them feel as though this has to be the best product. 80% of consumers, will pay any price if they feel as though the service is worth it. So very much, if you're not a resource, and, and I love, as you were you were talking, it conveyed how, no, no wonder she does well, because even though you weren't looking to buy, she knew the value in you was the relationship, not necessarily about you buying a home. One person who may not buy a home may know five people who may buy the biggest homes that you ever sell in your life. But people always get caught up on that immediate, what can you do for me? You're not looking to buy now? You're not looking to sell it? You don't know anybody looking? Like, those are the realtors who are exiting this, this industry now. Or there was the guy, I was at an event that was about how to network in person. And the guy, um, his, he was there with his wife. They were a team. They sold together. And um, we were chit-chatting after hearing about good networking practices and he, he like asked me for, he gave me his card and asked me for mine. And I like somehow demurred and like moved on to another conversation. And then he, he followed me around the room and he eventually came up to me. He's like, Oh, I never got your card. And then he, he did a malmerge. He must've scanned cards because my card doesn't have like a phone number on it. And in the top of the email, there was all these merged fields and it said, no phone number question mark. And it was in the, it was in the malmerge field. Uh, the top and it cracked me up and I was like, please remove it from your list. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, you're kidding me. I don't even carry the business card. I have them for like, you know, there's, there are some people that always, my business card is digital, right? And it's like, it's gotta be one of those things where you want my business card. Me handing you a business card is going to end up in the trash can. Right? Come on. Yeah. I'm not yeah. going to waste my money. I love this. We're going to do our favorite wrap up question in the moment. And first we're going to hear a quick word from our sponsor. So let's say it's a year from now and we are obviously going to stay in touch and I'm going to be asking you like, what's the biggest news from the past year? Like, what are we celebrating as we're getting together year from now? What are you most looking forward to in the year ahead? That is a good question. So there's a charity event, uh, Little Bricks, and it is, Little Bricks is, uh, they're connecting with the NRBA, which I'm a director of, which is the default side of things. We've set some goals. Um, to give back to Little Bricks this year. 
So I have not held an event where I've given back. You mentioned a charity before. I've held events, but I haven't held an event where I've given back to a charity. And this has become almost a passion project for that reason. So I would be excited to almost recap because obviously I'm going to invite you to the event. So I don't want to say to, to share it with you, but to recap uh, what you thought of the event when that time comes. So that's what I would, that, that would be a pinnacle moment for me over the next year. I can't wait to celebrate that with you. And if you, um, if you send me the information, I'll happily share details in the show notes as well. Speaking of which, how can people find you and follow your work? Yeah. So I'm on, uh, pretty much every social platform out there, but to be honest, YouTube and say it, Facebook <laughs> and Instagram are probably where uh, I'm ease most most uh, found. So Chris Nelson on Facebook, that's my personal and business. Uh, on Instagram, I am six one zero Monopoly six ten is our area code Monopoly as in the real estate game. And on uh, YouTube, I'll tell you what, rather than would it be possible to drop a link in the description for the YouTube? Yeah, no, we'll, we'll drop a link in the show notes. I'll, I'll, I'll grab it for you. In fact, we'll put all those links to show notes at ontheschmooze.com. And uh, thank you for those who are listening. And I just realized I had the wrong mic. Brand new computer, folks. We'll live and learn. Uh, thanks for sticking around here, friends. Until next time. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Chris. What is your key takeaway? Something you'll put into action this week that you'll benefit from for years to come. Share resonate with you in the show notes at ontheschmooze.com. Look for episode 345. That's also where you'll find all the links and resources from today's show, as well as all the archived episodes. Reach out and let me know which were your favorite interviews. If you enjoyed this episode, please share with that one friend you know would love to hear it. Subscribe or follow for free so you don't miss next week's show. Are you a fan? That's awesome. I'd love to read your review. Thank you in advance and look forward to connecting again next week when I'll be interviewing another talent professional who overcame challenges on their way to success. I'll ask probing questions to get them to share untold stories about their leadership and entrepreneurial journey and how they built and sustained their professional network. Until then, have an amazing week. Thanks for listening to On The Schmooze podcast at www.ontheschmooze.com. That's on the schmooze, S-C-H-M-O-O-Z-E. This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.